Welcome to the Out of Bounds Astrology Podcast. I am Alejo. And I am Fernanda. Uh, we have a special guest today, but before we go into that, we wanted to ask you, please, if you like our podcast, the best thing you can do to support us is just spread the word and tell everybody about it. Uh, we're on Spotify and also on Anchor FM, and soon we will be on Google and Apple and all of those apps, so you can listen to us everywhere. Okay, great. Fernanda, what do we have for oh. today? So today we have a special guest. We've got Rowan Oliver, who is a queer traditional astrologer. Welcome, Rowan. Hi, really thank nice you so much you. for having me. Yes, so we've got one of the uh, very talented um, astrologers uh, from a new generation. So I'm very, very looking forward to this conversation. Um, yeah, welcome. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Nice. Great. Thank you. So we wanted to ask you first, you, you define yourself as a queer traditional astrology. You know, we, we come from an academic background, a little bit of an academic background. So we're a bit obsessed with definitions. <laughs> so we thought that a good starting point would be to think uh, what is traditional astrology and what is queer astrology um, or how do you interpret? How do you, what do you think it, it means to, to do traditional astrology? And then yeah. what do you think it means to do queer astrology? Yes. Um, so my, my practice, I use the traditional Hellenistic concepts of sect and of um, essential dignities. And basically, I practice the oldest known form of astrology. Um, I get most of my technical background from Hellenistic astrology, um, which is a really great fundamentals background but a lot of it does not actually apply in the same way to 21st century life um, without contextualizing it. Um, mm. And the context that I put my astrology in is a queer one, which is taking it out of the artificial binaries that society has imposed. Um, and you can see these binaries show up in astrology as well with like masculine and feminine signs or planets. My philosophy on that is just saying, okay, they've got these universal energies, you know, Mars represents survival, it represents passion, that doesn't necessarily need to be something that is known as masculine to be a powerful source of energy. Mm -hmm. um, I like to think of it a little less in terms of like what human gender might re represent and think of it more as the types of passive and active energies, the ways that things ebb and flow mm -hmm. in a little bit more of a nonlinear sense, which to me is very queer. Um, so it's kind of just taking these fundamental tenets of traditional astrological interpretation and thinking, all right, how do we apply these to people who live outside of the binaries on the margins of society that, you know, maybe not wouldn't necessarily be represented in the traditional texts or in the society where these texts come from? Um, kind of taking it out of the very, um, you know, traditional sense and creating a new tradition for people to be able to relate to now mm. ah very nice so, yeah so, so basically using some of the techniques so the sects and some of the knowledge and kind of applying to a new paradigm basically you yeah. slightly shifting 
into a different way of seeing it rather than what they used to say, you know, taking it like exactly how you used to say on the on the textbooks from antiquity. Yes, exactly. Where, you know, it's up to interpretation, like astrological interpretation is the big thing. And, um, you know, you can use whatever Valens wrote down about um, a sign, a planet, whatever. Um, but these astrologers also had biases and were informed by the cultures that they lived in at the time. Um, yeah. So we need to take, if we're going to keep that relevant, if we're going to take that information that was, you know, they have the fundamental frameworks, they have the geometry that sets up like the Thema Mundi, but then kind of taking it into the 21st century and asking why, or, okay, how does this apply now? You know, yeah. like eclipses used to be fated events for kings. But mm -hmm. I live in the United States. We don't have kings. We have to think <laughs> yeah. about different op options for power and how it relates to an individual's life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how that kind of blends in with the lived experiences of the people living the charts that they were born with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And were you originally were you originally mm -hmm. attracted to to Hellenistic astrology, or did you first did you start with psychological astrology and then moved into Hellenistic, or yeah, because I for started, us, most people, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, go. Yeah, I started with modern astrology, and then I got really into the astrology podcast. I found mm. my one of my most influential teachers, Chris Brennan, um, and Demetra George as well, whose mm -hmm. path is very similar to the way that mine went, where I started out really interested in, you know, minor bodies and um, modern psychological mm -hmm. stuff. And then I got interested in the technical why and how behind all of it. And that's what really made astrology click for me. I'm very mercurial. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot in like, the very the Virgo side of Mercurial, um, so I like having the technical backgrounds and I like having the why behind things, and I think that that really just kind of sparked something um, that made me really really pursue this as like my number one passion. Mm. Nice, and I love the idea that you said that you are creating a tradition. It sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, very nice. Um, yeah. So. I wanted to ask you about because you know what I, I I'm also interested in the idea of astrology being gender biased. I also had this per, this perspective, um, and to me, I I first thought about it when I was thinking about the dignities and the abilities of the planets. So I would like to share this is my thought, but I would like to share it with you because probably you have thought about it and you have more ideas. Uh, so to me, what it came out to me as it came out as the idea came out was like. I was thinking, okay, so Venus is uh, in detriment, right, in Pisces. Uh, yeah, and I was thinking, is exalted in Pisces. Venus is exalted in Pisces, sorry, yes. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Venus is exalted in Pisces. And that's the idea of, like, women being romantic and being sensitive and that kinds of things. Instead of Venus in Virgo, it doesn't work so well because it's a practical woman and maybe the one who's self-contained, who doesn't depend on other people. And that's how I, I started uh, kind of questioning these ideas. Also with the moon, Mars, these kind of things happen. So, but you are a Hellenistic astrologer, so I guess you use the dignities, right? I do, yeah. So how do you feel about this that I'm sharing with you? How do, do you think it makes sense in my reasoning or do you think it's, 
I think it absolutely makes sense. I think to me, the dignity scheme speaks a lot about what kind of resources a plan ha a planet has in any given sign. So if you think about Venus in Virgo, as your example, Venus is operating on Mercury's terms. Um, so where Venus wants to create um, in Pisces has the opportunity to create expansive connection. It's a Jupiter ruled sign, um, kind of spiritual love and affection and care for everyone. In Virgo, it kind of gets narrowed down and Virgo needs to pay attention to the specific details. Um, and these dignities like you're right that does sound like something that you know men would be writing about in you know 300 bce and mm -hmm. be like yeah uh women are not allowed to be intelligent and critical and um you know embody the virgo qualities when it comes to like home and family and um parenting too right mm -hmm. virgo is not known as like a particularly fertile sign um, and so questioning these like, okay, so maybe that was their reasoning, but then taking it and saying, okay, well, Venus in Virgo has the talent of discernment, the talent of um, creating that emotional and intellectual connection, knowing what she needs to feel like um, fulfilled and not settling for less in Virgo. It's mm -hmm. a secret kind of strength. And I really like planets in fall because they are under-resourced, which is a lot of the time very queer as an experience is not having the resources provided mm -hmm. to you. Um, so how do you still function without those resources? You have to learn how to get creative. You have to learn how to think outside the box. So maybe Venus in Virgo, you know, doesn't necessarily feel super comfortable with the topics of love and connection and friendship and relating, but when that Venus in Virgo can get used to the way that she wants to do those things and the way that actually feels natural and comfortable, even though she might not have the resources of being in a sign that's more comfortable, um, she'll start to figure out how to kind of make it work for herself. Mm. Mm. Nice, yeah. yeah. So even yeah. if you use, sorry, Fernanda, go, yeah. I think I see it similar as well. I do see it similar. Sometimes um, plants in detriment actually kind of not necessarily take over, but they do become quite empowered because they have to. It's almost like a survivor. They need to. Um, so I've seen people. Yeah, I've seen loads of examples amongst my clients and people that I know where, you know, you would really expect them to be less accomplished because they've got Mars in Cancer, but it's actually the opposite. And and someone with a Mars in Scorpio that should be very accomplished and empowered is on, you know, is not really on the same track. So, um, so I see it very similarly. I, it did make me think of something. Um, what was it? Was, were you going to ask something? I'm going to think about my question because I yes, I was going to ask. So it's like you 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 take the dignities, but you really frame them in a different way. Because I guess probably Valens, for Valens it was terrible if you had Venus in Virgo. I guess yeah, I mean Valens like spends a whole 
few pages just hating on Scorpio is a sign. Like, you know, you have to take a lot of the stuff. Even back then, they were still writing with their own biases attached to them, you know? So, like, we have to see, okay, so Valens literally goes into, like, Aries is the house of Mars. It makes kings. It makes great people. And then it's, like, Scorpio is the house of Mars, and it makes no good, terrible, dirty, rotten people, you know? (laughs) And it's, like, okay, well, why did he feel that way, right? Like, maybe he had the moon there and didn't want to deal with it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice, I saw his description of Saturn in the first house as well. It's just terrible. It's just a list of, it's, like, really grim, like, it's just yeah. really bad. Looks miserable and it's this and it's that. And it's like, um, um, oh, God, I did think again and then I forgot again. Um, Write it down. Okay, yeah. so you basically, <laughs> usually Fernanda is the one that, who's awake and I'm the one who's a bit sleepy. I don't know what's happening to ah, you. I remember <laughs> now. I remember now because I've got Virgo. This, this, but I, I've been like a bit scrambled lately. But anyways, I, I did remember. Um, so with the, I know that some of the people into traditional astrology don't necessarily use, and I think the Vedic as well, don't necessarily use the outer planets as much. How is that for you? Do you, are you into, because I've got a Venus in Virgo, but is this square Neptune? <laughs> I, I do use the outer planets specifically in aspect or when talking about the experience of a house. Um, so like I have Neptune in the seventh, that definitely colors my Capricorn seventh house experience. Like there is no way that without Neptune there, my experiences would necessarily be as um, well described. Um, I also like to use asteroids. I use the goddesses sometimes. I use Chiron. I use the lunar nodes. I just don't assign them the dignity and debility scheme. And I don't put the same kind of weight on them because they don't rule any houses. They don't rule any signs. Um, and I use whole sign houses too. So they're always, um, Mm -hmm. pretty lined up like that. But, um, for me, the outer planets are kind of these like unknowable and unpredictable forces of nature, um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you can know that you're going through a Uranus transit, but you're not going to know what that Uranus transit is until it actually happens. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they're kind of very esoterically out there. Um, which I find to be cooler than trying to be like, yeah, Uranus rules Aquarius now, um, Mm -hmm. where we we have a ruler for Aquarius. It's been Saturn for thousands of years and Uranus can do so much more as not the ruler of Aquarius, but just as this like revolutionary concept or Mm -hmm. Pluto speaking about power. Um, I don't think that they need to be tied into the dignity scheme to still hold weight and have value in astrological interpretation. Mm. Oh, wow, very interesting. I wanted to also ask you, I liked what you said about the debilities, a a debilitated planet. I think you were talking about an exiled planet, not the, well, a debilitated planet. Uh, You said it has like a a queer quality. You said it's very much like a queer quality. Could you, could you talk a little bit more about that? Kind of what what do you mean with that? Thinking about the word queer meaning strange or unusual or different or um, marginalized sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. if let's take um, Mars and Cancer Mm -hmm. where, you know, Mars and Cancer is, I, I think of it as like the crab shell trying to keep that safety and protection and protect the home and protect the family and protect that heart space, which is 
not how you're supposed to do aggression. You're not mm. supposed to try to do it that way. You're supposed to go at it from an Aries perspective where you're going straight at the problem or a Scorpio perspective where you have to confront things or a Capricorn perspective in its exaltation um, where you're very direct and like, you know, on that Mars game, whereas Mars and Cancer is like, okay, well, I'm going to use my emotions and the deep well of those feelings as the weapon in this scenario and use your emotions. And sometimes that can get a little bit like, you know, stressful for the Mars and Cancer person too. Like they want to be able to be more aggressive, but they need to find workarounds. Mm. And being queer is very often finding workarounds for things, mm. um, you know, figuring out how to exist in a very cisgender heteronormative space while still honoring your authentic identity and who you really are. Um, you have to kind of move through like a little, uh, like a little sneakier, um, which I mm. think planets specifically in fall, but also in their detriments as well, um, learn how to do things differently so that they can continue surviving. Um, meanwhile, planets in domicile or exaltation have a lot of expectation on them. Um, they're expected to function at its peak performance, you know, like the sun mm. in Leo, but have you ever met like an eighth house Leo sun? They don't want to be radiant and out there. They want to like kind of take that on the internal and yeah. figure out like the other ways that that energy can express. And mm. like the sun's in the 10th house in Leo. If you're a Scorpio rising, that pressure to perform, that pressure to be seen and be known or like um, Venus in Libra wanting to have these connections and then always being like, oh, you're the responsible one for this, this, and that, um, that with Saturn and Libra too, right? Like being expected to perform those Saturnian qualities um, and then not living up to that can feel terrifying. Um, yeah. So giving the domicile planets like a space to be like, hey, we mess up sometimes, like, and that needs to be okay, um, is easier when you're also thinking about planets in fall and detriment that like can come in and take on those roles. They're just not expected to be able to. Mm. Mm. Ah. Is, that how, is that how Chris Brennan works as well? Or is this like you kind of took that twist from what you've been learning with Chris? I think that's kind of my own interpretation. Um, I, I think that Chris would also agree that like there isn't necessarily like you know, it's not a um, black and white dichotomy of like good, good planet and good sign, bad planet and bad sign. Um, mm. I think he's a little bit more on the rigidity with it where I'm kind of taking it into like a, okay, well, let's see how we can play with it. Let's see what goes on. But that also makes sense because he's very established and I'm a young Sag Pluto astrologer just trying <laughs> to figure out how to make yeah. it in this world. <laughs> Well, you're the new generation as well. You're bringing new elements. That's what I'm. I'm very, very interested, and in. I'm finding very interesting to hear your perspective as well. I'm loving, in particular, this idea of queer as being marginalized and the planets as being queer as well. I'm finding that very um, interesting, and I'm definitely going to start looking at it from that perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do work a lot with queer clients, but I don't think that you need to like take 
like you don't need to be queer to engage with queer to astrology um like when you look at it from a just like okay let's take it out of the the binaries let's take it out of the um what you're supposed to think and let like leave room for interpretation for discussion for coming together with peers and um colleagues and just being like okay let's figure out our own answers to these questions you know come up with our own delineations because we have that right Mm, yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah Mm. and you know fernanda and i sometimes we play around with charts um for instance once we were playing around with charts of serial killers to see if Mm -hmm. there's a signature for serial killers and then we were playing around with charts uh, of haters of astrology to see if there was a signature for that. <laughs> I don't know if we did some other, I don't remember now, we, but we usually do this also in our free time. <laughs> and um, So you have a lot of clients who are queer. So do you find there's a signature for that in the chart? Or do you think it's something that it's not there? Something that, I don't know, where, I, I don't know. I, I think that there are a million different ways that queerness can show up in a chart. Um, there are some that I've noticed come up pretty frequently. Um, one of my favorite examples actually is looking at the moon's next aspect, um, like whatever Mm. aspect it's going to make next. And I have seen in the charts of a lot of non-binary people that the moon's next aspect is going to be a, um, sextile, a trine or a square to Mercury. Um, and I don't know what it is that like that moon mercury contact, that physical Uh body moving towards the mercury being the most like androgynous non-binary planet. Um, but I've seen that come up so many times where like, I'll get a client and they'll be like, Hey, your moon's next aspect is this. I've noticed this show up in this way. Um, I've also seen that with Venus Mars conjunctions too. Um, not always, but a lot of the time I will see people who play around with the concepts of gender and sexuality, um, coming up in Venus Mars conjunctions. I have, um, a client who has a Venus Mars and Jupiter conjunction in Sagittarius. Um, I have a client who, uh, and they're polyamorous as well. You know, this is like a very interesting, seeing what happens with these specific relationship planets um, Mm. as well as Mercury and a lot of the time the moon um, seeing how those each show up as um, kind of indicators for queerness but I wouldn't say that there's like one catch-all yeah yeah Yeah. right yeah I mean our conclusion as well to be honest we try to find signatures but we we don't truly because in the end we really find that any chart could be the chart of a serial killer. What the chart shows is what kind of method they would choose to kill, yeah. or like what kind. You know, it's like it's more like in that direction than actually showing a specific signature. Um, yeah. yeah, and then that's like if you were to find like a signature for queerness or for a serial killer or whatever, and then somebody who is not a serial killer sees yeah. that in their chart, they're like, "Oh my god!" So that's also why I'm like hesitant to usually say anything about like, "Oh, are you queer? You've got the moon aspect in your theory or whatever," you know. Um, but having that as like hey, if you want to see where this shows up in your chart, we can go digging for it. You know, we can go 
oh, you want to see how queerness shows up? Okay, this is what I see. How have you experienced these things in your queer journey? And just mm. kind of finding the combo there. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, thank you. And I also, sorry, I'm making all of the questions, Fernanda. Is that okay? No, I'm I love kind of it. Taking oh, over. It's, it's, it's also your dissertation, so I'm just like, really yeah, lovely. that's true. Maybe that's why I'm a bit. Uh, no, because I loved something you said. You said, take it out of the binary. So uh, take it out of the idea of what you're supposed to think. Uh, I, I'm not, I didn't write the whole thing, so I'm, I'm not quoting precisely, but that's something like that. So what I'm interested in is about this idea of, of being non-binary. I don't know, I'm asking, I, I, I want to, it doesn't sound like a question, but it's a question, okay? So mm -hmm. being non-binary doesn't really mean that uh, you, you don't see the polarity of things, but what it means is that you're not subjective to that polarity, something like that. But you're not on the edges of the polarity. I think Alejo was saying that once, like um, he was thinking about, because doing a training on the Jungian analysis as well, and he was saying about the this, these polarities. So we have hot and we have cold, for example, but we have all sorts in between as well. Like it's not only the hot and the cold. So is that something like that that you're trying to say there, um, Alejo? That the yeah. non-binary, like where do you belong? Like, do you still see the two? Um, exactly. Do you still see the two oppos opposites, or is it that they don't exist? This is my question. Yeah. I think that I so I definitely get what you're saying. I think I exist in the gray area, and my astrology does too. And I think queer astrology as a concept exists in the gray area between black and white, right? Somewhere mm. in the middle of the spectrum. Um, and I think that we do see the dichotomy we see you know like good and bad or um straight and gay or whatever you can see that spectrum mm -hmm. i just think that the cool part about um you know being non-binary both with like identity and astrology um is that you can just transverse through that gray area and you mm -hmm. can go stop by on the far end of one like one far side of the spectrum and see what's going on there and then move over to the other part and i think that 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 spectrum is inherently non-binary because a binary being like hot or cold it's like okay right. well i'm a comfortable 75 degrees on a warm breezy summer day you know like it's not mm -hmm. necessarily like 100 degrees out or 30 degrees out it's uh just somewhere in the middle you know and that doesn't negate the ex like the existence of the extremes and the polarities Mm. But I don't think those need to be the focus in the same way that they often are, especially just like in our modern society where it's like right. you're either this or you're that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. conditioning as well in a way. It's just part of the conditioning because I think a lot of us are sort of like traveling in between. I mean, this whole idea of someone being good, someone being bad is also really flawed. I mean, we have so many different... Uh, you know, sides to human human beings are complex. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we all very complex beings. We can't just be either or. You know, um, yeah. it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think astrology. I was talking about this once with Nick Campion. I, 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 astrology actually offers a model for that because 
I mean, if you interpret like you're doing it, if you don't fall into the categories that violence is using or the way violence is using them, but if you interpret it, actually, astrology, what it's telling you is that everyone has a chart and the the mixture of the polarities is unique for each one. It's not in no in no maybe in some charts it's completely on one extreme. I don't know, but there is the kind of special mixture for each one. So actually, mm. it's. It's, a great like a thing. it's like very rare to have yeah. like all planets in the same sign or something like that you know like there's always going to be a combination of energies even yeah. if you have like the sun the moon mercury venus all in like aquarius or whatever you might have like a pisces saturn that mm. rules all that that immediately changes the game you know um, the moon changes signs every two and a half days. The ascendant changes signs every two and a half hours. Like we are constantly going through these shifts and the changes, um, that like, okay, no two charts are going to be the exact same. No two charts are going to manifest in the exact same way. Even if you were born at the same time in the same hospital, the lived experiences of those people are still going to be different. Mm, yeah. even twins i mean even people that are born in the same family mm-hmm. with practically the same chart they still have their own individual experience isn't it that still remains a mystery and yeah. and i'd rather stay with the mystery than try to say oh yeah it's definitely this or it's definitely that i mean yeah yeah savor the mystery and don't discount astrology because of it too you know where sometimes yeah. people will be mm-hmm. like oh well twins how does that work and it's like it still works we'll figure it out one day maybe but so far we don't have like a a cut and dry explanation for why twins charts still function um why astrology still works for that kind of stuff but it does which is super cool yeah yeah Yeah, definitely great Uh, yeah just one thing as well like what do you think ron about do you think it's got something to do with the pluto and sag generation or you know because i really feel that there's a very strong revisiting or rescuing that traditional astrology um you know from your generation that our generation for example wasn't really um interested in i don't think i mean i, I don't remember do you remember anything Alejo, when you were doing your training and that that you could no, have to me it came later but if, I, I mean some people were but it was definitely not the trend yeah I think a big part of that is the fact that it's kind of new now for us too, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, traditional fell off for a while. Um, it got very modern and very psychological. And I think the combination, I mean, I'm definitely not the only generation, like my micro generation, but my, I have Pluto and Sag and Saturn and Aries. Mm-hmm. And to me, that seems like, taking the power structures, taking the knowledge structures that were once there and reforming them into something that works for us today. Mm. Um, I think Mm. it's a lot about, it's not just the traditional revival that's going on right now. I think it's also the traditional reformation where we're reckoning with, okay, you know, like, in in modern astrology they there's different significations for houses or for Mm -hmm. stuff like that you know like um an easy example in my mind is that a lot of the time modern astrology assigns um sex and sexuality to the eighth house and Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more fifth house in traditional Mm -hmm. and the eighth house is a house of like 
it's death and taxes, right? Um, so thinking about, okay, well, why did they put it in the eighth house as a modern concept? What is it going on in the fifth house that gives it the traditional meaning? Um, mm. It Yeah, it's not just a traditional revival, it's a traditional reckoning and being like, okay, well, why are we saying these things now when we used to say different things? And how do we find something that feels good and works for both systems? And I like to think about that as a very integration forward mm. kind of process. Mm. Yeah, great. I love it. Yeah, Deborah Holding, she says she hates the distinction between modern and traditional astrology because she says we're all doing astrology and we're all inheriting this practice. So it's just mm. constantly being kind of re- it's alive. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's yeah. like a language that's alive. It's a, yeah. Yeah. It's a living language. And recreating. And in the MA, first thing that we learn, foundations module, there's no astrology without a culture. There's always that dance between the culture and what we're creating and, and, and the effects of that has on how we do astrology as well and how we, you know, how we work with it, what we yeah. do with it, how we look at the sky, basically. Yeah. 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 Astrology reflects the culture in which it's practiced. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, that's part of what the queering of it for me is, is that my culture is very queer. Um, yeah. You know, and I want to see that represented in the astrology yeah. that I, I want to read books written by other queer astrologers. I want to read, um, you know, dissertations and uh, watch podcasts and like just see the creation of the like of astrology for people who live like I do. Um, yeah. And so creating that myself is a big step towards creating that world where that's uh, common and popular and well done you know yeah great yeah, amazing yeah thank yeah. you Ron. that's very that was very very um interesting so to wrap up i mean if someone wants to get in touch with you someone wants to find you what's the best way to find you uh yeah my website um is rowastrology.com r-o-w astrology.com i am uh taking clients i am also about to um start teaching a course on traditional astrology 101 um it is an eight week six module intensive on the foundations of traditional astrology running this june and july um, and enrollment is open on my website and it will be open until May 11th when Jupiter enters Aries. Um, I'm mm -hmm. also on Twitter and Instagram also at Row Astrology. Nice. Wow, nice. amazing. Nice, yeah. and you're very active, great. That's brilliant. A Pluto, we got one Pluto beach here. <laughs> Pluto beach. Okay, um, yeah. Wonderful. Okay, so um, next week, what are we going to talk about next week, Alejo? Next week, we're going to be talking about eclipses. And yeah. It's going to be the last episode of the season. Yeah, um, last episode of season one. And we're coming up with new things, which we will be talking about next week. Huh? Thank you so much again, Rowan. Um, yeah, thank I'm you. I'm definitely going to be um, following your work. And, and if you do write books, please let us know, because we'd be very interested in digging deeper. Yeah, um, that's that's the Saturn return plan right now is right. bury my head in writing when that gets nice, out. Nice, very good. Yeah, yes. yeah, the Virgo working and, and, and put it into words. Yeah. Because, yes, that's a very interesting um, new wave and, and new way of doing things. And 
All right. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much and, for uh, coming. And yeah. yeah. See yeah, you all next you. week. Or see you, Alejo, next week. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye.